Well, it's so great to be led in worship, uh, isn't it? Even though we're separated physically, there's a sense that this that worship really ties us together. And uh, this past week, uh, my wife Carrie and I spent uh, time with almost every connect group in our church. And every time we were online, of course, with them, it was uh, we would hang up and we would say, man, that was so moving. I tell you, I cannot emphasize enough the importance of uh, of community and being together, and I'm so taken by the the, the troops of, uh, of leaders that we have, just quality leaders, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but I just want to say thank you to all our leaders, all of our groups, your faithfulness of, of sticking in and staying in community is just really, really moving and very, very encouraging. We continue our conversation today. On this topic of picture in picture, we're almost to the end of this journey. Speaking of pictures, of course, we're in this chapter where there's not a lot of entertainment uh, that's available to us. We can't go to a sports game. We can't go to the movie theater. So uh, some people I've heard that are playing Scrabble, a jigsaw puzzle. I'm, I'm definitely not building a jigsaw puzzle right now. But uh, so we're limited. We're watching the TV. And uh, this past week, there was, uh, we're watching, and all of a sudden, there's no picture. And uh, man, this is, now we're down to our only entertainment. Maybe I will build a jigsaw puzzle, but it was so frustrating to, to look at the TV, and there's nothing going on. So we called our local monopoly, uh, I meant our local cable company, and uh, there was a guy, actually, that really worked with us and got us back to that picture, but it took several days. And I was reminded today, as, as we're getting into this topic, we're going to be speaking of vision, speaking of television. And there are those times in our life where we find that we don't have any vision. And maybe you connect deeply with that statement, that there is no purpose, that we uh, are looking for meaning, we're looking for direction, we're looking for clarity, and yet it seems to escape us. I think especially during this chapter that we're living through that it's easy to lose vision. It's easy to lose purpose. Like, what are we doing? We're waiting for phase one, phase two, phase three, and all of that. And it feels like at times where we're just lacking that direction. We sang earlier this morning, uh, we, we closed our worship set with the text from Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son who had completely lost all vision. There was no picture in his life of where he was heading, what his purpose was, any of that. I'm reminded today of a very well-known scripture verse in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18. You could almost fill in the blank because many of you know it. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, that particular version is from the King James Version, and it's a, it's a it's a proper translation. That word perish comes from a Hebrew, a Hebrew word called para. And that means, it's an interesting picture, that it's like a, a woman with long hair standing outside on a windy day and her hair is just moving back and forth. And it, with, a, with a headband, it would tighten it up. So that word para means that it's like if we don't have vision, then it's, it's unrestrained. In fact, let me show you another version. This is more, a more popular version in Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is vision, no vision, the people are unrestrained. There it is. In other words, it's like when we together 
are lacking vision. It's like our hair is blowing in the wind with no direction. So you may be saying to yourself, okay, I kind of know where we're going here. Uh, no vision would be small picture, and having personal vision for my life would be big picture, but that's not it. If you have no vision, there's not big picture or small picture, there's no picture. But I do believe that God has for each of us a vision, a purpose. In fact, when we look at this saying from Henry David Thoreau, he says, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. That means that they have no purpose, no direction. And when that happens in our life, there is this certain sense of like, what am I doing? Where am I going? What's my, what's my next step? And that, that life of quiet desperation is miserable, isn't it? I've had chapters like that. You've had chapters like that. And so you may think, okay, then the big picture here is for me to get a personal vision because God does have a customized, unique vision and purpose for your life. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, we find this very clearly. In Ephesians 2.10, we read that for we are God's workmanship, his mastery, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, by the way, God has prepared beforehand in advance so that we would walk in them. You see, what the Bible is saying to us is that God has a specific plan, Psalm 139, that our days are ordained. So you think, oh, then that's the big picture. But it might be surprising to you that that is not the big picture. It's an important picture, but that's your small picture. I've got a small picture. You've got a small picture. If you're with somebody today sitting in your living room, they have a small picture. In other words, that small picture is a customized, unique purpose that God has for you that he's hoping that you will accomplish in, this, in your lifetime. I'll say, by the way, that there's not a guarantee that you will accomplish that. God, just because he has plans for us, does also couple that with this dangerous thing called free will, free choice. So there's no guarantee that even though I have, you might have a plan for yourself, I have plans for my kids. They're in high school. I've done Florida prepay. I have plans for them to go. Just because I have plans for them doesn't necessarily mean they're going to follow those. You see, each of us have this small picture uh, uh, vision. But what is the big picture then? If, if, if having vision, which is explosively big, if having vision for our own life is not the big picture, then what is the big picture? Here it is. The big picture, are you ready, is collective vision. You know, that there's a saying that we can go faster alone. I know that very well. We can go faster alone, but we can go longer together. When I was with all the groups this week, my, my wife and I, as we were talking, I'm like, man, there, there's a, there is something that is indispensable, irreplaceable with the, with the collective group of people. I ask our, each of our groups, what's your favorite thing about this group? What do you love about your group? And a very common answer, a very a universal answer, answer for every group was this. We love the people. We love being together. We love the ability to move forward together. And I'm reminded of that today because 
the bigger picture is not just for us to have our own vision, but to have a collective vision. I think there's a trend these days, and I'm going to challenge us right now. Uh, I, I'm going to step on your toes there, uh, just, uh, just a shade, because in our culture here in the U.S., and I recognize that people are watching from all over the globe, and I do believe, though, it's not limited to the U.S. I believe as a, as a human race, the more we go into the timeline of history, the more we have to fight with this awful thing called individualism. I want it my way, I like it my way, and we're now living in a culture of selfies, aren't we? And, and, and I read this week that nearly 300 people have died from taking dangerous selfies. You know, they stand on the edge of a cliff, they stand on a large tower, and they're trying to get that ultimate selfie, and they take the picture, and somehow they fall off the cliff or whatnot. 300 people have died taking ultimate selfies. If you remember, the, the, the first translation that we saw in Proverbs 28 was that, or Proverbs 29 was that without vision, people perish, right? With a self-indulgent vision, I will say to you that you will be unrestrained. There is something that is valuable to God when we come to the topic of community and having a collective vision. So we're going to look today at a bit of history, and we're going to land in, in uh, Numbers chapter 32. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it's in the Old Testament, and during this, this part of the Bible, we're tracking this journey of uh, the Israelites for a long period of time. God was proving to the world how important community was. He was proving to the world of, his, of the focus that he could have to a certain people. He was proving to the world how important it was to have a collective vision. For many, many years, hundreds of years, in fact, as, as, as some of us know that know the Bible, these Israelites, they, were, they had tracked around uh, the wilderness because God had promised them, had given them a clear picture, a clear vision that they were going to the plot we know now as the, the nation of Israel, and they were going to this piece of land they called the promised land. And in this, in this particular journey that we see, they're in the wilderness 40 years trying to find their way to the promised land. But the vision came many hundreds of years before. In fact, uh, over 400 years, uh, Abraham, who was the patriarch of the nation of Israel had, had moved from a land called Ur and he had gone and God had led him to the promised land. Over time, he had a son, Isaac, and Isaac had uh, two sons, Jacob, Esau, and over time, they had migrated to Egypt. Long story, but they migrated to Egypt, which, which was west, way west of where, they, where God intended them to be. They became enslaved and then God pulled them out of uh, Egypt and now they were tracking to the promised land. I brought a map for us to look at today because I want it makes a difference. So let's take a look at this map. And you'll notice that Egypt is on the far uh, left side. That's where the, so they begin, the beginning of the journey is on the far left side. Then they go way down south and they come up. And in the middle there, you see this kind of loop-de-loop thing. That represents 40 years of meandering, of wandering in the desert. Now watch. From that, it goes up to you, the upper right part of your screen. You see the red line. 
and you see that body of water, and then there's a river running into that body of water. It's the Jordan River. So now, even though they've come from the west and they're heading east, but now they've landed on the east side. That's the key word. They've landed on the east side of the Jordan River, and in order to cross to the promised land or the promised vision, they have to cross westbound across that Jordan River into the promised land, okay? So here we are. We've gone through all this journey. When we're going to pick it up here in Numbers 32, we've gone through all this journey. They find themselves on the east side of the Jordan River, ready to cross into the, the, to the west to the, uh, to the promised land. Okay, why all the history? I give you the history because they had a collective vision a collective hope, a collective target, a collective uh, goal. In other words, we all believed in this thing for hundreds of years. Generation after generation after generation longed to cross that Jordan River and get into the promised land. Well, a part of history that you need to, un to understand if you're not familiar with the Bible is that the, that the nation of Israel was divided into 12 different tribes, 12 different sections. These 12 tribes were named after the sons and grandsons of Jacob. Jacob's name was uh, changed to the name of Israel. And so there were these 12 tribes. When they arrived in the promised land, they were going to divide all the property up. But before they did, they had this daunting task of going to battle. Before they got to this eastern part of the, where they were camped here in, in Numbers 32, they had to fight even before they crossed the river. And when they crossed the river, this, we get to the book of the jo Joshua, and we'll, we'll see that later. They get, we get to the book of Joshua, and there's a lot of warfare that needs to, to be going on in order for them to settle in the land. Okay, here we go. In Numbers chapter 32, there were two tribes and then another tribe that came later. The two tribes of, of that, that are, are going to have a conversation with Moses, the Reubenites and the Gadites, because Reuben and Gad were, were sons of Jacob, and that they were named after the tribe. So if we look now in Numbers chapter 32 and verse 1, we pick up the story. Hope, hope you've been able to track along. It's a lot of history. The Reubenites and the Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the lands of Jazer and Gilead were suitable for livestock. They're on the east side of the river, haven't crossed over yet. So they came to Moses and Eleazar, the priest, and, and to the leaders of the community, and they said to them, and there's a string of cities here that are on the, is the east side of the, the river, Ataroth, Ibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eliea, uh, Sabon, Nebo, and Baon, and uh, I'm sure you don't pronounce all those. Uh, I've just probably slaughtered those if you speak Hebrew. So all these cities, the land that the Lord subdued before your people Israel on the east side of the river, not the promised land, they're suitable for livestock. And your servants, us, by the way, we have a lot of livestock. If we have found favor in your eyes, they said to Moses and, and the leaders, let this land on the east side of the Jordan, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Please do not make us cross the Jordan. 
okay, I'm looking at this. We're looking at this together, and we're like, what? After all these years, after all these years of collective yearning that that's going to be our target, and there were probably brochures and travel logs and all these things that we would have these days, and like, man, this is where we're going. We're going to the promised land, and then we get right up on the edge, and everybody's together, and we've gone through uh, the sand and back in this desert for four decades, and our uh, generations before have been longing to go, hundreds of years longing to get here, and we get right to the Jordan River, and they say, hey, time out. I know that this is our collective vision, but we would like to do our own thing. We would like to have our own vision. We kind of got our small picture vision here, and uh, we've got a lot of herds. We've collected them, and often it's those things that cause us to shrink a collective vision. I'll remind this. It's often the good things in our life. There's nothing wrong with having livestock, and apparently they had a lot of it. But that, that accumulation of good, that accumulation of, of having livestock now became a, a ball and chain around their ankles. So they said, hey, we'd like to drop out. Now, keep in mind what was going to happen when they crossed the Jordan River onto the west side of the Jordan. They were going to have to what? They were going to have to fight. You see, they had already fought to get to the east side of the, to, to the Jordan, and, and they've already fought. And they've already cleared the land. And they say, hey, wow, this is clear, and there's a lot of grass here. And they say, we will settle for this side of the Jordan. They hadn't even seen the other side. God had promised them that he had, he had painted this vision for them. It's going to be a, mil a land of milk and honey. It's a flowing milk and honey. It's going to be amazing. And they gave up before they even got there. There was no one in their generation that said, hey, we, we've seen it except uh, uh, Joshua uh, and Caleb. But when they, they were willing to settle for their own smaller picture vision. Well, what do you think Moses felt about that? Moses had been, been putting up with these people in the, in the wilderness. He had been putting up with them when they're griping and all that for four decades. And now we're getting ready to, to cross over. And they say, we weren't, we weren't out. Look at this. In Numbers um, chapter 32 and verse uh, 16. Uh, or sorry, in verse 6, Numbers 32 and verse 6, Moses said to the Gadites and Reubenites, shall your countrymen go to war while you, sit, while you sit here on the east side? Why do you discourage the Israelites from going over into the land the Lord has given to them? Listen, individualism is discouraging. Now, now, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. I am a full believer that God wants you to have a purpose in your life and a clear purpose. But beginning from the, from the, the early part of the Bible all the way through, God has always worked through a collective group of people. Not only did he have the nation of Israel, but he had tribes in the nation of Israel. And these tribes had clans. In other words, they were, they were gathered together so that they, they, they could work together. Now you move to the New Testament. Look how important community is in the New Testament. Jesus starts, and the first thing he does was he starts to build a small group. Jesus had the first connect group, as we would use that language in 360. He said, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do solo commando here. I'm going to form a group. And then, of course, we, the church exploded in, in the book of Acts, and there were churches and local churches and groups and community. You cannot escape 
the, the importance of a collective power in the New Testament of people coming together. That's what Carrie and, and I were so moved with this week of seeing one group after the next group and the community and the, and the shared vision and the shared heart uh, that they had. And you could see there was no wind, no hair blowing in the wind this week as we looked at our groups. We're like, man, there, there's a centeredness to, to what's happening in the group. And by the way, I'll say, we're going to, uh, we're opening our groups. Uh, we've opened them a long time ago, and man, they are open. This is a great time, by the way, to get in a group at 360. Let me tell you why. I know some, for some of you, going into maybe another home or meeting new people, maybe that's a challenge, but now you can actually meet them online. So if you go to our website, you'll go to the, the, the uh, you'll be navigated the page uh, uh, to, to connect and you'll see connect groups and sign up and you can pop into one online and say, hey, I'd like to visit your group via Zoom. You'll be sent the link, the Zoom link and you can just come right into our groups and we love that. L listen carefully. It's so important and God has designed you to be collective. You see, our culture, as you know, it almost beckons us to be solo commando. It beckons us to, to be individualistic. And there's nothing wrong with being unique. There's nothing wrong with having, you know, a, a, a small picture customized vision. But it's not all, and you won't find your greatest fulfillment in living the Christian life on your own. It is not God's design. Listen to these words by a guy named Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry said this, a spirit of selfishness, of seeking our own when each one ought to assist others is as dangerous as it is common. Here's what's striking about that, that statement. Matthew Henry lived in the 1600s. Think about that. I mean, you'd read that statement and think, oh, he's talking about the American culture in the 21st century. That was in the 1600s. What does that prove to us? There is this sense of us and our human, uh, our human nature, our selfish nature to want to live individualistic, whether it's 2020 or it's 1600 or probably 800 or, or when Jesus' day. And so God said, man, I want you to have more of a collective direction in your life. And so now we, we look at these, these uh, Israelites, these, the, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and this half-tribe of Manasseh, and now they say they, there's a wake-up call. Moses has come to them, and sometimes we need a wake-up call. Sometimes I need a wake-up call. And Moses has come to them and said, wait a minute. This is not fair. We're going to go over there and fight the battle. We've all been together. Look at the response. It's very admirable. In Numbers chapter 32 and verse 16, after Moses has spoken clearly to them and kind of a wake-up call, he says these words. Then they, the, these Gadites and Reubenites, they came to, to Moses and said, we would like to build our pens here for our livestock and cities, for our women and children, because Here's the reason, but we are ready to arm ourselves and go ahead of the Israelites until we have brought them to their place. They chose the noble road. Meanwhile, I want you to file that word, our women and children will live back over here on the east side of the river in fortified cities for protection from the inhabitants of the land. 
we will not return to our homes, here's the key word, until every Israelite has received his inheritance. Okay, let's break it down. What they're saying is, we're not only willing to fight with you, thanks Moses for the wake-up call, because we were getting ready just to stay here. Thanks for the wake-up call that it's not just about our small picture vision. It's not just about our herds and our pens and our fortified cities and our homes and our stuff and all those things. It is about a collective vision. So thanks for that wake-up call. Not only are we going to go fight for you, we're going to go ahead of the army. This part of an army in militaristic terms is called shock troops. Shock troops are the first one in. Guess, guess who has the most difficult part of any military engagement? It's the shock troops. They were so awakened by Moses' honesty that Moses loved them enough and he loved the collective community enough that he was willing to kind of get in their face and say, wait a minute, what are you doing? And they woke up and they said, hey, we're going to take first line of the military endeavors once we cross over the Jordan. We're going we're gonna to take that on. And so they, they said, mean, meanwhile, we still want to take care of our family. This is important. Look, Jesus loves your family as much as he loves, uh, loves anybody. And so what Jesus is not saying is like, hey, you got to just, just uh, throw everything out the, the window. No, it is a meanwhile. So Jesus uh, in, in this scripture is pointing out, uh, Jesus is saying to us, hey, listen, you can be part of a collective vision and still have the unique thing that God wants you to do. How do you fit that unique picture that God has given you, that small picture vision, how do you fit that into the collective vision so that we can do more together? Listen, I've had to learn this over the years. I'm, just be, I'm being honest with you. I work hard, I run fast, and I, man, I can just get out there and be running on my own. And God has taught me on a personal level, God has taught me that I, uh, uh, I will not accomplish what God has in my life and has for the kingdom if I'm trying to do it all on my own. And if you're wired like that, if you're wired like me, that is a struggle. And maybe some of you are like, man, that really is speaking to me right now. God is inviting you into a collective vision. All right, here comes the test. Fast forward past the, through the book of Numbers and, and past the book of Deuteronomy. Now it's Joshua chapter 1. Moses has now died. Young Joshua is in control. He's speaking to the troops because now is the time to cross over on the west side of the Jordan and fight. So after all this time, the, the Reubenites and the Gadites and now this half-tribe of Manasseh, now they've built their fortified cities on the east side of the Jordan. This is going to be the test. It's not before you pre-plan, it's after you've planned, it's after you've got all this stuff that's a ball and chain around your ankle. And he comes to them and he has a conversation in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 12. Listen. But to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and the half-tribe of, of Manasseh, those guys that want to stay east of the river, Joshua said these words. Remember, don't forget, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God, these are words from Moses, the Lord your God 
has given you rest and granted you this land east of the Jordan. Your wives, your children, your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men, watch, fully armed, Reubenites, Gadites, and, and Manasseh, you need to be fully armed. You must cross over ahead of your brothers because that's what you promised. You are here to help your brothers, here it is again, until we finish the job, until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God has given, in the, given them, giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Listen carefully. This was wartime. This was a collective vision. This was time to strap on all of the artillery, strap on all the courage, to build the courage, to be arm in arm with the fellow soldiers and to, be, and to live out the thing that you had promised to do. I'll go so far to say, let me customize this to 360. We have declared war on loneliness. We have declared war on being solo commando. We have declared war on, on this sense of cordiality that's in, in church culture. We've said, can we not tackle getting past this? We have three circles of relational dynamics, big circle worship, mid-circle groups, and small circle at that one-to-one -one table for two. We're fighting for that because our culture wants to, to take us into a, a, uh, a place of individualism and a place of congeniality that is shallow. And for years here at 360, we've said, let's fight against that. Let's get deeper. And I witnessed it this week as I saw these groups, some of them quite moving. One group, we got out of our chairs, onto our knees, and we prayed for someone who's facing a severe medical issue this week, the community that we felt, the, the cohesiveness, the collectiveness. See, we're declaring a war on superficiality. We're declaring a war on, on, on the, the, the congeniality, the shallowness that comes with, sometimes with ch a, a church culture. We're declaring a war on loneliness because it has become an epidemic. In fact, I want you to take a look at, at, uh, at your screen as we see the, the, the vision of 360. Our vision is that we are fostering a culture of small circle relational depth within our church family that outflows to our local community and around the world. This vision has impacted people in our church more than I have words to say. The, the, this vision has impacted people in our city, impacted people in this country, impacted people around the world. In fact, there are people watching right now that have been impacted. You know why? Because many of you have been faithful to live it out here in our own local church. If we're not living it out here, if we're not part of it here, then we have no business speaking to the world. But I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of those of you that said, I'm, I'm done with shallowness. I'm done with just a, a, a limit of congeniality and stopping there. I'm done with that, and I'm going to dive deeper, and I'm going to go further and further. Watch this. We end with this in Joshua chapter 22 and verse 1. The mission had been accomplished. They're now in the land, and they have fought all the fights. When you look at the front end of the book of Joshua, there have been many, many battles. May I remind you, 
that battle is not easy. Battle is challenging. Battle is, is, is deadly at times. Battle is, is, it takes grit and it takes longevity. And now they finished it, and the Reubenites and the Gadites and, the, and this tribe of Manasseh who could have easily said, you know what, we're just going to stick in our own small picture vision. We got, some, we got a city built up. We're going to live the rest of our lives. And they didn't. And they did what they promised they were going to do. But I want you to look how long they did it. Watch this. In Joshua chapter 22 and verse 1, after all the battles are finished, then Joshua summoned these guys. He summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And he said to them, you have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. And you have obeyed me in everything I've commanded. Watch. For a long time now, that matters, community matters. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your brothers, but you carried out the mission that the Lord God gave to you. You look at this moment, I'm telling you, this is one of the most victorious, triumphant moments of, this, of the Bible. Why? Because they committed not just to themselves, but they committed to others. They were selfless. They could have easily stayed in their own safety. They may have probably ticked a few of their brothers off, probably a lot of them, but they said, no, we're going to accomplish the, the collective vision. Let me bring it home to us. Sometimes when you're in a church, you think, you know, I I, I, I hear the vision, I, I, you know, that's, that's great, but I'm not sure I'm going to be a part of it. I, I want to I speak to you first and say to you that this is not just about making 360 successful. This is about finding your deepest spiritual fulfillment. Trust me or not, I'm telling you that you will find your deepest spiritual uh, fulfillment when you are accomplishing the mission that God has given to a collective group of people, there's more excitement when you do it together. There's more, there's more power and more effectiveness and more impact. I could have sat in my, uh, my own office and wrote, written some discipleship tools and see what... Man, that we would have never accomplished what is happening around the world without you together. This past week, as we were visiting uh, some of the groups, one of the groups, they began to, to, tell, uh, to, to tell Carrie and I, they told us that some of them had been in their group for 10 years. And I said, what does that mean to you? And the history is like gold, and you could just feel it coming out of the computer, because we were online. You could feel out of the computer that they were fulfilled, that they had meaning in their life. Won't you step into the vision? You say, how do I do that? Well, let me give you some practical, uh, some practical uh, uh, ways to do that. First of all, go to our website. Uh, look for the link for Connect Groups. Uh, it's easy to find. There's a couple buttons there. You can look at all the groups. Take a first step this week. Have some courage. These, these guys, these boys from the, 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 the tribe of Gad and Reuben and Manasseh, they, it took some courage, and I recognize that. It took, took some courage. Step in the vision. Some of you guys... Are, are already in a group, and you're like, maybe the, the, the next step for you would be to step into that small circle. You can also go to our website and check out what, uh, what we offer into that table for two. 
finally, many of you know I've been writing a book, and it is uh, definitely a team effort. I, we have actually, uh, the book is uh, just coming uh, off the press, and this is the book that um, it really uh, speaks to the core of our, of our vision and where you can fit in. So here's what we're going to do with, with this book. Um, we want it, as we're away from uh, each other, we thought, well, what a great time to send a gift to you. If you're in a, uh, a group already, in one of the 360 Connect groups, we're going to send you a copy as, uh, as our gift to, uh, from us to you. Uh, if you're not in a, a group, we'd love for you to, to, to read it as well. And so if you go to our website, there will be a link. Now, this is designed because there's going to be two versions of the book, one for those within our 360 church family and also those who are local here in, in our Sarasota-Bradenton area, uh, Venice uh, area, and uh, are interested in 360. And so we'd love to, for, uh, to send you a book as well. You go to our website, you'll see on the homepage a link for you, and we'll send you the book. For those outside living in other cities around the, uh, and around the world, there will be another version that will be more broad, and uh, that will be coming out soon. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, give this book out and as a gift. We're going to send it to you, and then we're going to begin to go through this as groups together. We thought that would be not only a, a, a great uh, sense of cohesiveness and, and collectiveness, but also it will help recalibrate us, and then we will have some discussions on that. I'll give you more information in the weeks to come, but it's going to be really exciting. And as we're separated physically, this is a great time for us to, to say, hey, let's do something together and let's have some conversations together. So look for that coming out. It should be uh, back from the printer uh, real soon. And uh, it, it is such a great way for us to collectively fight together for a vision that matters. Don't count yourself as an exception. Whether you're in a group or you're not a group, you're part of this church family. Whether you're in a group and you're not in, in, in small circle, you're part of this family. And all of us are moving to a deeper level of commitment to this vision. It makes a difference. You make a difference. The person next to you makes a difference. Our groups make a difference. Our leaders make a difference. Our volunteers make a difference because we have declared war on the, on the shallowness that sometimes we face, not only in the church culture, but in life. Won't you join us? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you, God, that from the beginning of the Bible to the end, we see that community is such an incredibly important part of our spiritual growth. As you know, God, our culture and the culture 200 years ago and 400 years ago and 1,000 years ago, our, the culture around us beckons us, calls us to this sense of individualism. But that is not where you've called us, God, to live. You've not called us to build fortified cities around ourselves to keep to our own unique, personal, customized vision to be part of something larger. God, we see it with the nation of Israel. We see it with Nehemiah. We see it with Jesus. We see it with Paul. We see it with everyone in this scripture that community is so important. So, Father, today we, we ask you for this church. We pray for this church. We pray for those who maybe are, especially in this time, 
of COVID and, and in this phase, God, maybe they're experiencing loneliness. We declare war on that, God. And recognize that that is not the picture that, that you want for any one person, and, and we invite them in. Thank you, God, for our groups, and we pray for courage for those who say, I want to take that step into a group. We pray for courage to say, I want to, for those, I want to take a step into small circle discipleship and find out more about what that means. We pray to God today for those who are listening who have not even yet stepped into the faith. They've not even stepped into a relationship with you. We remind ourselves, God, that you made that possible through the cross of Jesus. And there's a, there's, there are places to pray. There are places online that we have, God, that you'll, we ask to lead them there. But God, for right now, in this moment, maybe you're, you're unsettling someone to say, man, I do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'll say to you right now, as we're in this mode of prayer, I'll say to you personally that God loves you so much he gave his own life through Christ on the cross to offer you forgiveness He's calling you just like that prodigal son that, that from that song we worshiped with earlier, calling you back to his open arms right now, right here, right now. You don't have to be in a church building. You're right in your living room. It's exactly where I began my journey looking for Christ, right sitting in a recliner in an apartment building, maybe right now. As you sit wherever you are, God is calling you. I want you. I want you to be my child. I want you to be my son, my daughter. Won't you reach out to him right now and say, God, I want you now. I want to turn my life around. I want to do a U-turn and come completely towards you, ahead completely towards you. And instead of relying on good works or any kind of religion, Father, I want to rely on Jesus right now. And I embrace, I accept the offering for forgiveness of all my brokenness, my sin, my past, my mistakes. God, I want a relationship with you. Would you ignite in me a new life? Maybe that's your prayer today. It certainly was mine many years ago. You speak to God from your heart to his in your own raw language. and Recognize that God has been waiting for you all your life, and you will be part of the family of God. That's where God's calling you. You're calling him, you to himself putting you, wants to put you in the family of God to give your life purpose and meaning and clear vision together with other followers of Jesus. Father, thank you for not uh, calling us to live this life alone. We have you, God, but you've put others in our life. Thank you for this church. Thank you for its leaders, for those who serve, for those who are in groups, for those who are in small circle discipleship, for those who are finding their way to those places. God, would you move so that we can continue to be to effectively impact the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us. Again, happy Mother's Day. We, you have such a special place in our hearts as moms, and uh, we are, pray for strength for you, especially for those of you that still have kids at home and are working through so much a challenge. We, we pray for you and thank you for being who you are to, to, to your kids and, and uh, for grandmothers, for your grandkids. And so thank you. Thank you for all for joining us. Uh, it's such an exciting uh, thing to be part of a, a, a forward-moving vision. And I uh, love all of you and hopefully we'll see you soon.